Welcome to the Discomfort by Design podcast, where we showcase people who chase discomfort, live life on the fringe, and pursue high adventure. We bring you the stories that inspire you to go find out. Now here's your host, Taylor Quick. What's up, brother? Man, not much, not much. Just uh, it's wet here, so I'm kind of kind of taking it a little easy. Uh, not necessarily that I want to be, but uh, need got a ton I need to be doing. But more or less hanging out. I might try to go work on a little stuff this afternoon, but that's about it. What about you? Man, it's about the, about the same. We're winding down the school year, so this is technically our last day of school. So um, all our kids that were exempt and everything have pretty much been done since last week. And, you know, Monday we had probably 15, 20 kids here. Tuesday, a little less. And then Wednesday, I think we had five. And then yesterday we had like one. <laughs> yeah. And and it, and it's... It, it, it's okay. You know, it's cool because what it, what it basically is, is mom's like, Hey, if you want to eat today, you're going to go to school because we don't have any food here and they feed you there. So the yeah, buses run yeah. and they'll, you know, there'll be a couple of trickle here and, you know, here and there, but for the most part, it's just all packing everything up, getting everything situated and, you know, cleaning up and checking out stuff. So today's the last day uh, for teachers. So uh, man, we're, we are, we are wound down and done. I hear you, man. I hear you. Yeah. Well, like I said, you uh, to warn some of your listeners, there is some chickens right here beside <laughs> me. Uh, we were kind of laughing earlier. My rooster was cutting up, and I hear one now. She must be laying or getting ready to lay because she's kind of she's talking. I don't know if they can pick it up or not, but uh, <laughs> in case y'all are wondering, I have my chicken herd is right here, her <laughs> flock, whatever. So warn everyone. <laughs> So for those of you who are listening to the podcast who do not know, this is Logan Hanks. Uh, Logan is the first member of the infamous group chat that I have had on the podcast so far. Um, there, there are 10 of us in total, so I'm assuming there will probably be nine episodes of group chat members. Um, but but uh, Logan Logan is the first one, and he uh, Logan is the proprietor, owner, operator, whatever you want to call it, of LH Farms. Uh, just north of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, also yep. runs a very successful podcast called the Living Fully Loaded Podcast, and which is one of the reasons I wanted to get him on this show was because he is one of the biggest inspirations for me actually starting this and getting getting it off the ground. Um, <clears throat> at one point, I even uh, had written down on my phone uh, in my notes, there was a uh, a part where Logan had actually told me, he's like, dude, you just got to find your purpose. You got to find what, what it is that you're trying to accomplish and go get it. And I mean, that was, gosh, that was almost a year ago. And I mean, I've still got yeah, that written down on my phone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember when we, we talked about that and, uh, and man, you know, Hey, and I, I appreciate, I appreciate it, man. Like it's, you know, it's, uh, I'll tell you podcasting and, and stuff. It's, uh, I tell a lot of people it is a it's a marathon. Um, you know, it's not a sprint by any means. I mean, you know, you can go out there and, uh, be super abrasive and say shocking things and try to like have that shock value explosion, but that's really not how I operate. I mean, I, I stand firm by what I believe in and I, I speak it openly, 
but like I never do so with the hopes of trying to like I'm gonna shock value my way into explosion and uh so it's a slow process man and so it's always really it's encouraging for me to hear that it has helped like inspire you and uh encourage people to to get after it because that's the stuff that like when podcasting is slow uh the stuff that keeps you going is like knowing that hey man you know what if if one person has been positively impacted like if they're they're driven off of something that a guest has said or i've said or something dude that that makes it worth it so i mean that that means more than you know uh just hearing that so man i i appreciate it and and i always appreciate your friendship uh taylor i'm, I'm honored to be on the show uh, i think what you're doing is really cool and i'm i'm stoked stoked to see where it goes yeah man i appreciate that so <clears throat> you know the, the cool part for me too has been like you know, I, I kind of, we met, I guess, last February um, at, at Winter Strong 3. And, but I had kind of started following your podcast a little bit before that. I don't remember if it was Bert or Brandon or somebody that you had had on. And, you know, I, I started listening and I was like, hey, man, this is a cool guy. Went back to when it was American Huntsman um, and, and way back at the beginning of the whole thing. And started yep. kind of listening through and was like, man, this is just a guy. Like, it's just a normal old dude like me. I mean, he, he speaks the same language I do. Uh, he he, kind of from the same background I'm from and things like that. And I was like, man, I, I like this guy. And then, you know, watching your, your growth over the last couple of years, um, even to where you just, you know, you had your 100th episode recently and, did you give away and all that stuff? And now, I mean, you're, you're becoming more of a, a brand with it. You've got a freaking killer logo. Your shirts that you put out are fantastic. And it's just starting to see a lot of, you know, a lot of exponential growth even. It's kind of, it's almost like, you know, steady, steady, steady. And now I'm starting to see these big jumps for you, man. So it's really cool to watch. And so that was one of the other reasons I wanted to get you on is because it's been, it's been a process, like you said, and I know that there's been some discomfort there. And, and by God, you're a farmer. You understand living with a design discomfort probably better than most anybody I know. Um, so, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited to get this conversation going and, and see where all it takes us. I know there's going to be a, a myriad of topics and things that we're going to get into. So um, first off, just for anybody listening who doesn't know you, man, give us a brief rundown of your background, you know, where you're from, what all you've been into, how you got where you are today, and what, what's going on for Logan Hanks. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's funny, like, um, with, with living fully loaded, like Taylor said, in my, my podcast, you know, um, I talk to guys that are really just, I think crushing it and being super inspiring to me and, and, uh, and they have just awesome stories. And it's funny because by like looking at my life, I have a pretty normal, like, I mean, I'm a farmer. Like I said, I, I'm not like, I'm not, uh, you know, super crazy entrepreneur making millions, running some multi-million dollar business, or I'm not hiking Mount Everest. Uh, but like, you know, and and for a while, I really took a lot of that for granted. So I guess I'll, I'll go all the way back. So um, growing up, I'm in West Tennessee. I've lived here in West Tennessee all my life probably will die here in west tennessee i, I love it and um it's a small town 
people used to bitch about it um whenever i was a kid i remember buddies in high school were like i can't wait to get out of out of this i'm in mudford people who don't know but people they were like i can't wait to get out of here there's nothing to do here um and i love it um because i could drive around there's farms fields everywhere like i did my best to avoid memphis memphis is about 20 miles um i guess 20 miles west from me and uh i would do my best to not go there and so man i i grew up in the farm it kept me out of a lot of trouble um i i did get tired of it at times but uh it always kept me kind of on the right track and i i left the farm i guess when i was about 19 or 20 and i just needed to spread my wings and when i left the farm i uh, actually went and became a machinist and that's kind of what actually started this this living fully loaded mindset i've always been a big dreamer as taylor knows um we i my goal actually was to be in the movies it used to be kind of embarrassing to share that and now i'm i have no no problem sharing that um i had an agent and worked on a few things and uh I told my wife the other day, we were talking, Taylor's probably heard me say this many times, but like, uh, that ship, I still don't consider that ship sailed, you know, who knows? I don't know what'll happen. I never, if you had gone back uh, about three years ago and said, man, you're going to have a podcast. You're going to talk to these wild people. I would have probably not believed you on that one. So I don't consider anything off the books, um, except like, you know something crazy I, you're never going to see me in professional athletics uh that's definitely not my arena but uh hey you know uh i would never write off the potential of maybe working on a film one day but uh anyways man i, I became a machinist and uh would get to know people and i was asking them you know did you dream of being a machinist and machining is a great job i like to always put that caveat in there because i don't want to deter somebody we need machinists that's a, a good job american manufactured stuff and um it just wasn't for me and 98 percent of the guys that i worked with it was not their dream job and i would kind of just as i became closer with them i'd kind of dig and be like well what did you want to do and you know half the time it was guys they wanted to start their own business a couple of them wanted to play professional baseball like because I, I would really dig i'd be like man what is your what was your childhood dream like what did you seriously want to do not like i don't care if it sounds dumb like if you feel goofy saying it and like a couple of them were like man you know i always wanted to play in major league baseball and uh and do things like that and typically there was some sort of catalyst in their life that, that changed the whole direction that they went in. And uh, the depressing part was sometimes the people never even tried. And then the other one was sometimes it was just one bump in the road and they were off track. And so from that moment on, I was like, I can't, I, I'm not passionate about what I'm doing and I just can't do this. I can't live a life doing something where I'm like basically living for the weekend. I just don't operate that way. Um, I actually don't like working for somebody like I work hard when I got to work hard and do my job, but I'm just not a, I've marched to the beat of my own drum way too much, uh, to, uh, <laughs> to work for somebody. And so I came back to farming 
and it's been the most like i've grown my operation i've been farming now full time for i guess this is my probably my eighth season uh having my own operation it's insanely stressful um i lose sleep i drink a little more alcohol than i used to but uh it's uh it is i couldn't imagine doing anything else it has given me the freedom to really push my podcast and kind of explore other ventures and um that's i guess that's me in a nutshell i am married uh married i have twin boy girl twins that are four and uh you know faith and family is would be the center hub for me and then everything else it just branches out from there and uh that's that's me in a nutshell which it is funny man you know uh i do get a kick out of and actually was just thinking about this i do get a kick out of a lot of people think once they get married once they have kids like that's it man you know their their dreams of childhood and whatever those those things are gone uh no longer have time to do them whatever and uh to me it's really the opposite i mean you have to be more strategic you know like you know i said earlier i would want to i love the thought of working in movies at this point in my life i'm not packing my bags and moving to california because that's just not in the picture for me but um there's other ways to try to work around things you know from maybe in a movie perspective it could be right screenwriting uh maybe hey man try to make something happen here in my own hometown it is what it is it, there's there's you become strategic with your dreams and uh that's what i wish people would see and so that is me pretty much in a nutshell hopefully that was not a too long of winded response but that's uh that's kind of my my how i got to where i am today no no i think it was i think it was perfect um so you know there's i, I have a i have family that does the same same as you that farms and uh you know they where where we are it's um cotton mostly and a uh, little little corn a little soy i know you're you're a lot more heavy on the corn and soy um but man i i was talking to talking to my wife's uncle who does that um a couple of weeks ago they were they were here i think for maybe around mother's day or something like that they were up here yeah. and um Man, he was he was just telling me about how how much the economy has just freaking wrecked, just absolutely wrecking farmers right now, and, and uh, you know, and he said he said well, we're hearing all the time from people that uh, you know farmers are just getting rich right now during this all this inflation. And he's like, our 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 profit ain't going up none. Um, yeah, because he was he was telling me the. Um, you know, they, they used to put, I think, six loads of fertilizer on one field or something. And he said, you know, to to buy the exact same amount money-wise, it was only like two and a half loads this year. So it's like literally, you know, killing them on cost and things like that. So, um, man, what are, what, what are, what is it like, you know, living that way right now? Because, you know, we're all feeling the, 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 we're feeling the results and the consequences of, of this election uh, that we just had. Yeah. And, and that is something I want to make sure everybody hears and understands that elections have consequences, whether you want to believe they do or not, elections have consequences. You're, and we are living them right now. Um, but so, you know, we, we, you know, people like me where I'm not in an agriculture business, I'm in education. You know, I feel it mostly at the grocery store and the gas pump. Right. Yeah. Um, 
you know, unfortunately, I'm in a situation where we do grow a lot of food. We do hunt and fish. And so we, we're not, we're not, you know, handcuffed into going into a supermarket to buy literally everything we consume. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't have to drive very far. You know, I think it takes me 15, 20 minutes to get to work every day. So I'm not in the truck much. I can fill my truck up and it'll last a week at least, you know, if I'm not going everywhere like a crazy person. So, but you, on the other hand, because it is affecting your business so very much, have been really smoked with this, man. So, like, how how are you handling that? How are you adjusting to that? What's it like right now for you guys? And because there are a lot of people that have that incorrect assumption that, oh man, that grocery product, you know, produce is going up. The cost of corn and soy and cotton and whatever else is shooting through the roof for us to purchase it. So obviously, these farmers are just getting fat and rich on us, dude. <clears throat> farming, you know, farming is one of them things where I think there is such an insane, insane misconception, like misconception about all of it. Um, there's been a lot of, I'll tell you one of the things that has hurt us a lot, and, and I've got a pretty good ax to grind in the, the ag sector. Um, and I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll hit on it. Uh, cause I, I like to talk about it, but, uh, Man, farming is a really weird thing in that, uh, you know, I've said this before, like, if you go back, I guess, probably to the 1800s, uh, 90, over 90% of people lived on a farm. So everybody knew, uh, they knew a little bit about farming. Like, even if you didn't actually farm, you were on a farm. So you kind of, you had an idea of what happened. And uh, nowadays, less than 1% of the, the country lives on a farm. And so we've gotten super, super removed from farming. And, you know, we get a lot of flack. We catch a ton of flack because people say that we, we're using synthetic chemicals, synthetic fertilizers, and things like that. And there's this very glorified image of organic, all natural. And hey, look, that is great. Like I I'm really am, uh, I'm really drawn to this regenerative ag push we're seeing. It's something I want to try to play around with, but it will never be my entire operation because it's not something that I can sustain on like a large scale. And I also enjoy my hobbies. If you were to go full scale or uh, regenerative ag, that becomes your life um, because you're talking to regenerative ag for somebody that doesn't know it's it's using cover crops um, and then livestock to graze the cover crops and you pull them off plant do the and you're you're constantly it's a it's a continuous cycle and it's it is the most natural way to farm like i don't know pretty sure you don't use any chemicals or any fertilizer uh, there's a great film on it called Biggest Little Farm. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the movie. But if you watch that movie, in the first bit of it, when they start transitioning to this regen ag thing, the guy says they burn through their budget, like, immediately. And so, I mean, I don't know where they mentioned that they did get investors. I don't want investors. I don't want anybody in there with me. I want to be, I want to own it all myself. So I'm not seeking out investors. So if I, I I have put cover crops out this last year, I started to implement cover crops. I'm going harder into it this year. But like, 
the livestock thing from a logistical standpoint for me here in West Tennessee, I mean, you know, some of these places like the Midwest, other places, guys can work 500 acres and it might be in one field. Here where I'm at, 500 acres might be in 15 different fields. It might be split up. It might be 20 acres here, 30 acres there. You might have a 100 acre block here. Like that's how it's, that's part of the struggle for me as a young guy. And so the, the way that I farm, I mean, I guess to summarize that segment would be one less than 1% of the population is having to feed the remaining 99 whatever percent. And we can't do it organically. It's just not sustainable on an organic footprint. And so we're having to use these synthetic chemicals. We have to use synthetic fertilizers. I mean, unless somebody adheres to Thanos mentality of want to just let's, let's kill half of the population of the people, let's let them starve to death, then we have to farm the way that we're farming. And I feel comfortable saying most of these people don't want to see half of the population die. I mean, who knows? Hey, well, I don't, I don't know anymore. You know, I don't know much about <laughs> what some of the, the craziest things. Um, but man we are we are definitely feeling the pain and and one of the things that really annoys me is these government payments um man they you know they really really have gone a lot of media people like to talk about the payments that farmers get i think they like to do that because farmers were like 90 something percent in support of donald trump as president so in a lot of ways, the media does not like farmers. Like we are, we are overwhelmingly conservative and they know it. Um, and they, they don't like us for that fact. So, I mean, I think they like to see, you know, any black eye they can give to the farming community. I think they enjoy doing so, um, which, you know, as a farmer that pisses me off because when it comes to government payments, like we'll, we'll address that. I don't get hardly any government payments. I'm, I work about, I work a little over a thousand acres. In West Tennessee, that's a small farmer. If you go out in some of the Corn Belt areas, that might be a pretty good sized farmer, but they're making probably double the yields that I am because their soil is so great. Our soil, we have really good soil and then we have very average soil and then we have some poor soil out here. I have a combination of about all three in my operation. So I have to work a greater number of acres. But on that same front, we have guys out here. I mean, we have one guy working 30,000 acres. And um, that goodness. guy is, oh, dude, yeah, it's, I mean, he's, you know, I'm a capitalist. I'm, I'm, a, I'm all for capitalism. And I mean, I guess some people look at his operation and they say, man, there it is. There's capitalism at work. But where, where things have gone astray is the big guys, I'll tell you, the big guys make a shitload of money. Um, that's the best way of putting it. And then they get a boatload of government payments. You, you almost reach this point, you know, in, in most jobs, the greater you take on, the more risk you acquire, like, or the more potential for failure, I guess. Like, you know, cause then your cost, continuously rise. I mean, when I worked 500 acres, I thought my costs were bad. Now I'm working about probably 1200 acres. 
And man, damn, I lose sleep at night over the amount of money that's looming over my head. And, you know, if I get a government payment, it might be twenty or $30,000. And for somebody listening, they might be like, damn, that's a year's salary for some jobs. But when I'm talking about twenty or thirty grand, and I have seven hundred thousand dollars worth of debt looming over me, twenty or thirty grand ain't shit. So now, the way they set these things up, you get a max amount of dollars per entity. And I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make this as simple as I can. And I like to share this because people don't know this. This is not something people say a lot. No, I love this stuff. This is off, dude, and, and it. It makes people in the ag sector, it makes the big guys mad if somebody tells this, because a lot of people don't know this, but um, there was a max cap of $125,000. That's how much one entity was allowed to get. And by entity, I mean like LH Farms is my operation. That would be one entity. And it's a tax entity is what they go by. Well, it's based off of the acres you work. I think I got about 20 grand, uh, 20 to 30 grand maybe in, in payments last year. And so I didn't even come close to maxing out 125,000. And that 20 to 30 grand is kind of just, man, that just supplements you basically to try to keep your head above water. But in honest, all honesty, if you're reliant on these government payments to stay above water, you are already in a dangerous position. And so these these big guys, what they do is they have multiple tax entities. This is how shady it gets, man. Like like a guy working 30,000 acres, 20,000 acres, 10,000 acres, he might have nine different tax entities. And he's done this so that he can max out the acres or the payment on this entity. He can max out this entity, max out this entity. And so he's getting 125,000, 125,000, 125,000. Whereas he's technically only supposed to be getting one single payment of $125,000, but he's manipulating the system to where he's got like nine separate entities all getting $125,000. And at the end of the day, it's all going to that same guy. So getting well over a million dollars. And that is a problem. Like you, you become too big to fail. Farming is has gotten there's too much safeguard. Like this is what I'll say. I I'm in a position where like the small guys have all the risk, the big guys have all the safety. Like that's almost the way it goes. Once you get so big, you're damn near bulletproof. And I'm in that weird spot where I'm basically in the shark waters because my farm is in a growth stage where I have grown, but my expenses are high and everything. So so I, I'm in a dangerous water here and I'm trying to navigate against these huge guys and it's really freaking hard. So we got them running up rent prices. You know, uh, if I could pay $150 an acre for a farm, those guys will come in and they'll pay $300 a farm. So they're, they're paying double what I can pay because they have a shitload of cash flow coming in. And, um, and so then... You got that. Well, now let's throw the economy into the mix. Again, I guess this was a long way of getting to answer to your question. Um, but the economy, man, uh, fertilizer on corn last year, I think I was figuring my inputs per acre in West Tennessee. This is going to vary all over. 
seed chemical fertilizer, I want to say I was paying probably around 350 an acre. This year, probably going to be paying around $600 an acre. Um, so what is that, a $250 an acre increase? That's a yeah, lot. I mean, that's somewhere between 70 and 80 percent. Yeah, almost 90 percent inflation on your on your cost just to and that's just to put it in the ground. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't include fuel either. You know, that's no, not, that's what I'm saying. You're not running the planters. You're not, you're not tending it. You know, that's that's literally just this is to plant it and get it going. Yeah, and you know, and, and I'll tell you another thing we've seen, um, because we need help on the farm and we're hiring people and we've had some. We got a great guy helping us now, but you go back ten years ago, most farm help was getting hired for around ten dollars an acre. Like it's now, and there's no overtime, it's straight time, but you might work a lot of hours. You said now, $10 an acre? Or $10 an hour. Sorry I was going to say, you can make some money doing that. You go work them big farms. Yeah, 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 no. Sorry, I had acres on my mind. Uh, <laughs> $10 an hour. Um, yeah. But the the guys that are doing it nowadays, man, you know, we're paying, we're having to pay $20 an hour uh, a lot of ways to, to make up for it. And, you know, uh, farming is really, it's a bizarre thing because guys, you know, Yellowstone, as, uh, as funny and entertaining as that show is, one of the things that I think that they did really well is you see Yellowstone, they have this freaking, like, mansion of a house. They all drive, I don't know, the highest-end Ram trucks, probably $100,000 Rams and uh, got a helicopter and all this stuff. You see all the stuff they have, and then you hear uh, Beth or whatever talk about how they have like basically no money. Like they're pretty much broke. They're just swimming in massive loads of debt. And I was like, this this place gets it. They get it. Like that's farming, man. People see farmers, and there are like I said, man, the guy, the huge guys, they're turning some crazy money. And you got a lot of your old farmers that have what we call old money. They just have a lot of cash from back in the day. Um, but if somebody sees like an average farmer and he's in a new ride or something, the way farming works, man, we just, we operate in tremendous amounts of debt. I mean, that's just the way that you have to. Like I don't have, you know, if it's going to cost me 600 grand to plant a crop, I certainly do not have $600,000 in the bank to, to put the crop in the ground. So, you know, you spend a lot in hopes of making a little, and that's pretty much what farming is until you get on to the, the major scale, like these big guys. And, and, you know, to me, the big guys, they're going to be the death of American farming. Like these guys working 15, 20, 30,000 acres or more, uh, they're gonna. They are the downfall of uh, of American agriculture. No, I mean I completely get that, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing Bill Gates buy up so much farmland. It's and and, and you know it kind. Of, I want to jump back on this. I love I love what you're what you're bringing to the table because this is one of those things that's unseen. Like people go to the grocery store and they buy an ear of corn, or they go buy a T-shirt that was made from cotton. They go buy these things, and there's a complete disconnect of how did this get here? Yeah. You know, and, and in some cases it's a man like you, who's got a family and it's a small time, quote unquote, small time comparatively operation compared to some of these conglomerates that we see. 
and, and there, there's a, you know, there's a, a kid's college fund behind it and, and it, you know, a, a vehicle when your kids turn 16, so you ain't got to take them everywhere. Like all of that's factored in. You know, I, I think that that disconnect is part of the problem in our society. It's one of the things is that we just, things just appear for us. So, hey, there, there's that. And we have no idea where it came from and we don't question where it came from, which is an entirely different topic that we can, we can go down. But, you know, this, we've seen over the last several years, and I know you and I have, have talked about this ad nauseum in our group chat with everybody else, but like this push for veganism and, and we've got to get away from meat and da, 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 da. Dude, how it's going to absolutely be impossible. Like when you, when you sit here and you listen to what you're saying right now, that less than 1% of the world's population is currently feeding the other 99% and, and we're just barely getting it done. Just barely getting it done. How in the world do they think that it's going to be sustainable to go to a, if we're, we're going to eliminate meat. We're going to go to a straight vegan. Okay. And our, all our meat's going to be synthetic meat or whatever. That's not even freaking possible. Like when I sit here and listen to you talk about that, I'm like, you know, I ain't got to worry about being made to be vegan because they're not going to be able to pull that crap off. Yeah, no, they're not. And and it, it's kind of, it's really kind of hilarious to me, this, this push for these weird, uh, like lab grown meats. Like we're getting, we're catching heat on the farm for, uh, if you give a cow antibiotics, like <laughs> sick and you give them antibiotics, I mean, you're keeping them alive. Like, like that's the thing. It's kind of funny. We don't just give antibiotics for no reason. Like if a cow gets antibiotics, the cow is sick. Like, it's like, you realize the alternative is the cow will die. And also when the cow gets sold and goes to slaughter, there's a window that has to happen. There's a time that has to spread out where, the antibiotics have to be out of the cow's system before it can be processed. So, like, you're really not eating the antibiotics that were put into that cow. The cow is just alive because of antibiotics. And so, again, they only get that if they're actually sick. And even oftentimes, they still might die, so it's not even a guarantee, but that's, that's just trying to combat keeping them alive. So it's funny to me that people have a problem with farmers giving antibiotics to cows, but now they want to eat some meat that's not even real meat that's grown in a lab. I'm like, this doesn't even make any sense. Like you want this natural, you want all natural, but then you want completely unnatural uh, forms of meat. And I mean, that that's mind blowing to me in and of itself. And the this whole vegan thing, you know, man, it, it tells me what a privileged people we are. Because if you go to a third world country where people are literally starving to death and you take some corn to them, for like example, and you're like, man, here is some sweet corn. Here's some corn. Eat. Here's you some stuff. They're, they're not going to say, is it, wait a minute, is it non-GMO? <laughs> they don't care. It's food they're going to eat. And so the fact today that people can say, well, now I only want non-GMO grass-fed beef and all this stuff. I'm like, what a privileged group of people we are that we can be so picky about the meats and the, the vegetables and stuff. And I mean, the non-GMO stuff, man, that's, that is 
marketing ploy. Somebody has done a damn good job. Someone's making a lot of cash off of this non-GMO thing because there is no difference between GMO and non-GMO. I mean, hell, if you want to go all the way back, I mean, corn in and of itself was created by them like crossbreeding and stuff to make it. I'm pretty sure the Indians were like, I don't know, well, I may be non-politically correct here, Native Americans, whatever the, the correct term is we're supposed to use, but they were crossbreeding to create corn. Corn in and of itself is a genetically modified crop. And I mean, everything has more or less, the vegetables, fruits have been evolved to be to the point they're at today. And there's nothing wrong with GMO crops. Like, it's just, I, and I, I get, I get the weird side of the chemicals. Like, because I, I handle them. Like, trust me, I handle them. I've seen farmers that, that have gotten cancer. I've seen farmers that have had this problem, that problem. It does make me wonder, and that's why I do appreciate this regenerative ag push. But I tell you, man, the the only way, if, if people honest to God want to see this this change in the dynamic, like this complete shift, let's go let's go back to the natural way things are done. The only way that happens is if we reverse this ninety nine percent and one percent thing. We need. People like you, you know, I know you grow a garden. Like you said, you hunt for your meat. You know, we need people to go that route. I'm not telling everybody to become a farmer because for one, you can't. Like it's it's already so damn hard to get into farming because of these guys working 30,000 acres, 10,000, 50. These big guys, they gobble the land up. There's just not, there's not opportunities in farming like there should be in my opinion and so i'm not telling people to become a farmer i'm telling people to just start growing some of your own food like even if you just start growing some lettuce in your backyard grow you some tomatoes hunt and like get you do do some of these things and lessen the demand like that's what i would like to see let's lessen the demand and and kind of even out our supply and that's how we can start to combat this because if i don't know heck i would venture to say if if we could get back to 30 to 40 30 to 50 percent of people living or operating some way on a farm dude i think it'd be a drastic drastic change i mean now that's probably a pretty steep thing to ask going from less than one percent to that but yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't think it is. I think it's just it, you, you have to be prepared to understand what it means. Right. So like here, here's a great example. We, we yes, I, I at my house have a very small garden. It's not big. I've got six, eight tomato plants, six, eight pepper plants. Uh, I've got a little fruit here and there and I've got some cucumbers and just a, a couple things. Just just enough for me, my kids and my family. That's my little hobby garden. That's just, you know, hey, if it makes it great, if it doesn't. Okay. Now yeah. at, at my wife's grandfather's house and his nephew's house, and it's all like right around us where we has a lot more land access. We have rows of corn. I mean like four, five, six rows of corn. We've got two or three rows of tomatoes. We got six, seven rows of peas, you know, six, seven rows of squash. I mean, it's a lot bigger scale, but I, I, I work it. My kids work it. He works it. His nephew works it. And, and anybody that's going to benefit from it, 
you know, comes in and works it and puts in the time and toil into that. It's, it's, to me, it's not that you're not telling people, hey, you need to go and buy all this land and plant all this and be completely sustainable. That'd be great if that was, if that was, you know, available. But what you can do is you can get with other people who have a like-minded purpose and say, hey, look, this is what I'm thinking. Let's, let's take, you know, hey, our, our land butts up together right here. Our yards touch. Let's tear this fence down right here. And let's plant two rows of corn, two mm-hmm. rows of tomatoes, row of cucumbers, you know, some peppers, whatever it is, and let's work it together, and then we'll share all of it. And and, and it and that's how it's going to happen because if you're if if we're if we're waiting on people to take the initiative to go out and buy ten acres to plant whatever to completely sustain themselves, that's never going to happen because there's not enough people with enough time. I mean, you know what it takes to to tend. 10 acres of land with all that on, there's a lot to do. I mean, I know how much time it takes for us to tend what we have. And if, and if Casey's grandfather wasn't retired, you know, and didn't, didn't have a job that he went to every day, I don't know how in the world we would get that done just yeah. simply because of the time, you know, the time death that comes from it. But, you know, it, it, if we can get to a point where we're starting to see that community involvement come back in. We're starting to see that, that tribalism get together where, Hey, I'm going to help you with this. You're going to help me with that, you know, and, and it's, it's all going to work together for something. Then I think that that 30, 40% is absolutely attainable. Well, you know, I, I think too, that it's, it's, I do partly feel like we're seeing a shift. Um, last night, actually a, a good buddy of mine, he, he had texted me the other day and he has, he, he actually works at the shop that I used to work at, but he also raises horses and uh, he's got, uh, he just had two colts born and um, he wanted me to come out and bring the kids and let them see them. And so we went out to, uh, to see the, the horses and, and let my kids see them. And um, me and him were talking and he was like, you know, we need more, we need more kids we need people getting back into this. And, and both of us were like, I think we're seeing this shift back to people wanting to get into that ranching lifestyle and people wanting to sustain. And, and so we're seeing stuff come up with, I guess, like the farmer's markets. I'm starting to see more and more of those popping up. And so I think we're going to see the shift happen. But I don't know if, if it's going to be on a big enough scale. I mean, we just, people got to talk about it. People need to understand what's going on. So, like, I think it's great that you and I are talking about it. And I see what we got about, what's this nine-minute warning we got popping up here? Dude, I was just actually texting you about that. I have no idea why it does this. But, like, apparently it's given me only giving me 40 minutes of recording time. As if, and, you know, Zoom's supposed to do that when when there's three or more people in there, but I only count one and two uh, unless unless it's counting me as two people because I'm so large. I have no idea. Um, But uh, (laughs) when it, when it shuts off on us, we'll just, uh, we'll, we'll re up the zoom and I'll just bridge it in. It won't be any big deal. Gotcha. Um, Anyway. uh, Yeah, man, it it absolutely is something that needs to be talked about. It's something that needs to be discussed. And it's something that, that, that we need to, to start pushing our kids towards. And, you know, I saw something the other day, my mom shared something on Facebook, uh, and it was like, it is the thing that, you know, kids don't do this in the summer anymore, and it was like staying at grandma's house, snapping peas, watching prices Right with a window fan blowing or something or other, and I was like, 
no, my kids do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you in about in about three or four weeks when the when the snap beans come in and we had to start you know picking our first bunch of snap beans, my five and four year old will be out there barefoot in the garden pulling beans and snapping beans for the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they've been doing that since they were two and three, you know. Well, so I, this, my my kids are this year. Uh, I'll tell you this: it's one of the things that this year I'm getting back into pretty hard. Um, I used to grow pumpkins every year, and uh, I've grown sweet corn several several years in a row. And I'm trying to get to where I'm a little more diversified away from just row crop because the market is insanely volatile, like. The Ukraine situation's got our markets going nuts. Uh, if it rains one day, we see a huge jump in price or drop in price. If it don't rain for a couple of days, prices jump or drop. And I mean, it's just nuts how volatile the market is. And so I'm trying to go more into this vegetable route. And this year's kind of my start, I guess, back into the mix. And so, yeah, I mean, I told my nephew, I got a nephew who's 11. I told him the other day, I said, man, I hope you're ready because you're going to be out there. Uh, pumpkins, I gotta, I'm got going to have a huge pumpkin patch. And pumpkins I plant by hand. I mean, I walk and just I poke the seed in the ground and cover the seed up and walk over and poke another seed. And, I mean, I don't know how many seeds we'll plant. I have 54 different pumpkin varieties. Oh, so my gonna, goodness. Yeah, like it's, it's going to be – it'll be thousands of seeds planted. And I mean, all by finger, like I'll have to just poke the seed in the ground. Like you're, you do it so long, your finger gets raw. Like I remember when we used to plant pumpkins, like the, t the end of your finger would get raw. So you start swapping, like using a different finger because your finger hurts. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do, you like it's, um, but I told him, I was like, man, you're, you're going to be out there helping me out. And, uh, and saying pumpkins is one of the things like, there's really not a good chemical for pumpkins. So it's typically you go out there with hose and you chop, you just chop around the pumpkins and I've tinkered with some chemical to help, but really and truthfully, you have to chop it. And, uh, that's, that's what we got to do. And so I've already warned him and yeah, I mean, my kids, they're, they'll be getting in there and sweet corn picking. I'm going to have them with me because that's always the fun part about it is picking it. So, I don't know, man. There, I just would like to see people get back into it. And I'm also a guy that, you know, I want people to be able to pursue whatever it is they want to try to do. You know, if they dream of being a farmer, I want them to have the opportunity to try and become a farmer. And it has just gotten, it is, I told someone the other day that it has become an elite fraternity like farming has. Like it's, there's no hope for you to get into farming anymore unless you're born into it or you just have crazy money. And right. uh, that's not how it's supposed to be. Like it, farming should be something anybody could get into if they really have the desire and the, the, the will to work to make it happen. Well, I mean, part of it, part of it is, is the barrier to entry on the, the equipment and things like that. So like, your, you know, your, your planner, for instance, planner and tractor, how much is that valued at to buy? If I wanted to go buy one right now, not even brand new, like yours, if I wanted to buy yours, what would I need to get? If you were going to buy what I'm running right now, like today, 
then you would spend two hundred thousand on that, just a tractor and planter. I mean, that's more than the that's more than the vast, overwhelming majority of people spend on a house, right? Yeah. And that that's that is something to plant a farm with. Yep. That that doesn't do anything other than put it in the ground, and and that's that that's a problem. Is exactly the same. There's this huge barrier to entry. You either have to have old money, or you had to grow up in it and you inherit daddy's stuff, and we just upgrade here, there, and yonder, you know. But, but I, I, I've always thought about that. I from a from a standpoint of man, that would be a really fun thing to do. That'd be really cool because of all the you know the the cool stuff the aspect of farming, to being your own boss, being outside, working with your hands, like all of that's really awesome. You know, there's always been a part of me that was like, man, I'd love to do that. And I would. The other part that, that uh, the you know, dealing with all the the business side of it and having to deal with all the stress and the worrying about, you know, yields and returns and all that stuff that that, that has I have no interest in that part. That's the worst, man. It is the worst. Like uh, and the bigger you get, the worse it gets. Like, uh, I mean, right now. I'm, I should be, there's guys right here that are done planting. Their crops are all in the ground. And we have been battling breakdowns and rain. And uh, rain is a good thing to battle because I want to keep getting rain. But at the same time, I mean, I haven't been able to plant. I haven't planted a seed since Saturday, and we're recording this on Friday. Like, yeah. Like, it's it's been too wet. I planted Saturday during the day my tractor broke down. Like when I say 200,000, I mean, my planter is four or five years old and my tractor is about, shoot, my tractor is about eight. No, is that right? Dang. My tractor is about 18 years old. No, I've got a 2004 model tractor. That hurts your feelings, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to think about that, I mean, and that tractor, if you were to buy that tractor today, you would spend close to a hundred thousand. And I'll tell you what will really blow your mind. uh, It blows my mind is uh, a new combine today. You're looking at close to $500,000 for, for one combine. That's, that is insane. I was actually going to ask you about that, about what a combine costs, because so Casey's uncle's family, like I said, they farm cotton and, and mostly, mostly cotton and soybean. Um, yeah. So I, I, I take trip down there at harvest every year because my, you know, my oldest boy, he, he is all into ag. That's his thing. He loves rodeo. He loves cows and livestock farming. Like he is as ag centered as anybody I've ever met, which is weird because you know, I grew up in athletics and in sports and stuff. We didn't really get into the, the ag side of things, but it's been it from the from the day he could talk. I mean, I think his first word was daddy, his second word was mom, and his third word was cow. Like, <laughs> I mean, like the dude loves it. So I take yeah. him down there to Casey's aunt and uncles, and he'll get up and ride in the harvesters with him. And I got yeah. up there when he, the, the first time he went, he was probably three years old, and I got up there and rode with him and. The guy that was running the harvester, um, his, his name is David, and I asked him, I said, David, how how much one of these things cost? And, and it was like watching him work a video game. Like, it's got a joystick and, like, all these screens everywhere. And and he said, uh, if I bought this one brand new today, it'd be just short of three quarters of a million dollars. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Was he on a cotton picker? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we were on and a cotton picker. A new one. 
a new cotton picker is around 1.2 million. That's that's um, what he said. Like he was talking about if he bought that specific one today used, like I mean it was two or three years old. It, yeah. That's what he told me. He's like, if I bought a new one, it'd be over a million. I was like, my God, how how are we sustain like that? And and that should tell you everything you need to know about whether or not farmers are making a you know making a ton of money. <laughs> is I mean, you've got to shell out a million dollars just to pick your product. Let's think about this here. So so most farm equipment is financed five to seven years. Sure. Like, oh that's, my God. That's typically how long you get. And uh, so, I mean, let's say, let's go seven years. You bought a brand new cotton picker. Um, so you got full seven years. If it's over, if it's, I think three or five years old, they will only go five years max. Sure. Um, so you get your you get your full seven and got a sweet deal and got him down to one point one million. Yeah. All right. We'll say one point one million, and you got a three and a half percent interest rate. Which no, actually, it's probably going to be about if you go seven years right now. I'm going to say you're going to have a five percent interest rate because Lord. it's terrible. Um, no down payment. You're just going at it. Your yearly payment is going to be. <laughs> Your yearly payment is one hundred and eighty-six thousand dollars. <laughs> so, so you've got a house note, pretty much uh, like a house cost, basically for your annual note. And farmers, we typically pay annual notes because our income comes in mainly one time a year. Like, sure, I, I make pretty much my whole living in the fall. Like, I kind of live off of what I make until then, or you operate out of a line of credit. But so, I mean, you're talking about damn near 200 grand on a note. And so, you know, you break it down the way we do our expenses. We break them down per acre. That right there is more that one cotton picker would cost more than I spend. Like my equipment notes for a sprayer, a tractor, a planter, a combine, uh, Hey, that may be all of mine right now, but four pieces of equipment and my total annual notes all together for those does not come up to that much money. So my God, that one cotton picker costs more than all of my equipment in one year. Yeah. And, and they've got like six of them. Yeah. See that that's, I mean, the guy that I was telling you about that works about 30,000 acres out here. He's probably got six. He might even have eight. I don't know. He's got a crazy number of cotton pickers. He trades them in like every other year. Um, he's running, hell, I don't know. I bet he's got 15 tractors. And um, he's got about 30 employees. And so, I mean, you know, for reference there, there's four of us. Like, it's me, my dad. We got a guy that's like 80 years old. And then we just hired a younger guy that's, that's awesome. The guy we hired actually is has a rodeo background he used to bull ride and uh he's awesome dude and i'll be honest with you man the the ranching appeals to me more now than even probably regular ag like oh absolutely it's yeah i mean and i'm in it you know i'm a row cropper now i'll tell you i love the equipment the equipment is part of the appeal like the big tractors hey man it's, you know, there's nothing like driving a big freaking just 
you go down the road and you're in something that is like as big as a road, you know, cars have to get out of the way. Cause I mean, if you just flatten a car with some of this big, big freaking equipment we have, but there's just something romantic and cool about the ranch and lifestyle. Like I mess with my wife all the time and I'm like, let's just, we're just going to get out of the, we're going to sell our land and we're going to buy one nice ranch and just be on this ranch and maybe, you know, my buddy the other day was talking about with the horses. Um, dude, these Yellowstone, all the the West is coming back. Um, I'll tell you that that that's coming back. And he was talking about because his two colts that were just born, they were born uh, about a week ago, maybe. They're both already sold. Like when they reach a certain age, he's already got them sold. And oh yeah, old, dude. I mean, and he was talking about for money that he just can't imagine. And he said his goal is to, he wants to actually get to doing that full time. He wants to just start breeding these colts and, and young horses and selling them. And uh, and he was like, dude, I think that can happen right now. Because he said, the, we're seeing this shift back to that. People are kind of, not all of them, but a lot of people are, are wanting to get back to that. And so, dude, I don't know. The ranch and stuff, it's, it's still... As cool as farming is, row cropping, like it's nothing like planting a crop and getting to watch it come up and all that, but it's still just something cool about the livestock factor and things. And I mean, I grew up with cattle. Like at one time, we were running over 300 head of cattle. Um, you know, it was a bunch of cows for us. And, um, but I don't know, man. It's, it's something very romantic and appealing to the ranching life. No, I completely get it. And, you know, and, and you and I are from a from a very similar belief background. And, and if you look at Scripture, um, you know, in, 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 in the Bible, God created us for two things. One, for fellowship with Him. And then second, to, to have dominion and be a caretaker over the earth. So there's always something primal and connecting about overseeing animals and livestock or overseeing farming and things like that. I mean, it, because it, it's it's in the very fabric of our being you know when you when you really go back to that um and dude i'm all about it i i I would love to that that's actually one of my goals is as as my kids get older and 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 we kind of are shaping out the life that we're going to live one of my goals is to eventually get to a point where we have we have you know a, a livestock operation that is that is yielding yielding an income and and a trip, like I said, is into he's into rodeo and he's into ag as much as any any five year old could possibly be. And uh man, I've been I've been looking for him a horse, my wife and I have, and it's just like, good gosh. And and I called um I called a friend of mine that um has done horses and things forever, and I was like, Man, what is going on with these horse prices? He says, Dude, I'm just gonna be honest with you. A horse that would have cost me two thousand dollars three years ago is going to run you close to fifteen grand today. Yeah, and, and it's yeah. nuts. Um, and so that that same aunt and uncle that Casey has that has the the farming operation. So he they also do a lot with horses, and they have they have a, a cattle arm to what they do. And, and one of the coolest things they do every year is that it, twice a year they move their cattle herd. And they do it all on horseback and stuff, and and oh, it's, really? it's really it's a big deal. Like they yeah. they have cousins and friends and all that come in and bring horses, and they I mean they move this herd. They have a cattle drive twice a year. It's really cool. It is, um, it is. And, we, and we usually take the kids to go watch it. Um, but so 
in that, uh, Jimmy is uh, Casey's uncle's name. He He's a horse guy, always has been. He had this fella down in, in South Louisiana where he always went and bought his horses from and got to be really good friends with him. When that guy decided he was ready to be done with it, he didn't have anybody to leave it to or anything like that. So he literally gifted Jimmy. I say gifted. He let Jimmy buy him out basically for pennies on the dollar, um, buy him out of that business. And so now they also have a quarter horse business where I, I've seen the same thing, man. He'll have, he's got a, he's got a heck of a stud and then he's got, he'll have like five or six mares that are getting ready to drop and dude, they'll, they'll drop and, and those colts will be sold in no time. And I'm talking about for an astronomical amount of money. And I'm like, my yeah. gracious, people are, people are literally paying ten to $20,000 for a baby horse just yeah. because of the bloodline it's out of. And it's freaking cool because I, I, I love that stuff. And, and you're right. There is an absolutely evident romanticized feel to it. I mean, you can that the whole appeal of the cowboy and the old West, there's a reason why we've made Western movies. There's a reason why those, that, that genre of, of television and film stands the test of time, that genre of literature. There's a reason why Yellowstone's so freaking popular and, and it doesn't have anything to do with the actors and actresses in the show, but it's the content, man. And, and it's just such a, well, such I'm a on, good thing. I'll tell you, and I don't mean to like interrupt you there, but no, I'll tell you, Something that uh, I think the now Yellowstone has shown a little more of the gritty side of things, but I'll tell you the there is an allure, and I and I honestly think that this has something to do with it. Now people might argue with me a lot, but we lack a lot of things in today's world. Um, where we have a lot, we lack a lot. We lack a lot of integrity. We lack a lot of like I would say heart. Heart and integrity are two things that I feel like are greatly missing uh, from our community today. Um, and even, I would even say a, a standard or a code. Like I, I do very hardly try to live a life to a code. And not even just from a biblical standpoint. I mean, I'm, I don't shy away from the fact that I am a Christian. Like I have a moral biblical code that I live my life by. And, but People today, everything is cutthroat. This was one of the hard realities for me with when I got back into farming. I had this image in my head that the farmer was this backbone of the country, man of integrity, respectful, honorable. And in a lot, of, there are a lot that I know that, that do fit that bill. And, um, but I think people see that lifestyle. And you got, especially with the cowboys, it's a natural lifestyle. You're, you're there, you're interacting with the livestock. These men, they work hard. They go home dirty at the end of the day. They put in their work. They poured their blood and their sweat and their tears into what they do. And they, they live by a code. And I think people, as much as we try to like break away from that kind of thing and lifestyle, I think that people really do ultimately crave that because that's, that to me is getting back, I guess in our, our sense of morality and all these other things are intertwined in that. And people do feel lost. And I think getting back to that is something people crave. And I don't know, I, I've thought about that a lot. I think that's, that's part of it. Just like a, a kid needs discipline and, and like ultimately kids, 
as much as they'll rebel against you, they actually crave discipline because then like, so I think that it's the same, same boat with people romanticizing this cowboy farm and ranch in life. Well, it's because you know where you stand. I mean, there, there's, it's, it's not this whole up in the air of, of what's going to happen if it's like, okay, a plus B equals C. Yeah. There, there, this is how it is. This is life. This is what happens. And, and, and then it really gets down to the nitty gritty of, of truth. And, and I think that you're right, man. We are, we are missing a whole lot of truth in the world today because what has happened is, is and this, this, this phrase kills me. And, and this is not going to be a popular statement. And, I, and uh, if this offends you, email me, message me. We'll talk about it. But the phrase, your truth, it, it infuriates me because there's no such thing as your truth. There is simply truth. Yeah. This is what is true. This is what is real. And anything to the contrary is untruth or a lie. Yeah. And, and, and I, I can I, I just, it kills me, man. You need to live your truth. No, the truth is, is constant. And, and no matter what you do to beat and bang against it and shape it how you want to, at the end of the day, all you're doing is bastardizing it and then you no longer have truth. Yeah. Yeah, that's which it's a fitting saying for our times. I mean, everything is fluid. Everything is evolving. Everything is changing. I mean, I just put up a thing like, you know, I mean, we do, it goes hand in hand with the fact that we glorify mental illness in the country. I mean, it's, it's, it's right on the money with that, that whole mentality. And, uh, so it, of course, you know, it doesn't surprise me, which I fought a lot of this on, on the conservative side of things, because I feel like we've, you know, really when Trump won, they were like the silent majority stood up and I, you know, I, I would agree but it's, it's really a disservice that we had not stood up already. And I think our, our silence in a lot of ways has let things get to where they are. And we're trying to push back against that now, but it's like such a huge boulder that we're trying to push uphill because we've let them gain such a stronghold. Like, you know, me talking about the Hollywood stuff, one of the things that did make me kind of change course was the fact that I got into it and I was a complete minority. And by that, I mean, man, I'd show up, I'd show up on these sets and I am a country dude to the bone. Um, I'm, I am as conservative as a human being can be when my, with my political beliefs. And like these were, I was probably the only Republican who had like ever stepped foot in these places <laughs> and uh, like, I mean, yeah, dude, it was I, now on that note, I can get along with anybody because I didn't go into these places spouting politics. Now, oftentimes then they would bring up politics and I usually would just not say anything because I was like, man. And so ultimately I ended up working my way out of that scene. And in all honesty, I think I, that was probably I shouldn't do that because we need more people in there like. You know, Chris Pratt, um, I love Chris Pratt because he is a conservative, he's a Christian, and he really doesn't doesn't cave to them. And we need more guys like that. Hollywood does have a lot of weirdos in it, 
And I think it's because one, the people that think like me and you do, they either get blacklisted or they just say, man, I just, you know, that ain't for me. And, uh, I think that does us a disservice. And that's why I do say like, you know, I don't consider my ship sailed. Hey, you know, I never know what'll happen. If Hollywood ever decides they need an outspoken conservative, uh, in there to rattle the cages and I guess then, Hey, here's, here I am. But, uh, you know, I, it's, I, I don't know, man, we, we are just, we're in the very, very bizarre times. And so, yeah, the, your truth, all that comes down to is there's, there's facts and there's opinions. Your truth would be an opinion. That's not, that is not, it's just a dumbass statement. It's the best way of putting it. It is. And, and, and man, there's some, there's some things that, that, uh, my parents have told me when I was growing up and one of the, one of the, my favorite ones was my dad one time told me that son, the truth is not contingent upon your believing it. Yeah. Like you, you can not believe it all you want to. You can believe with everything in you that you can jump off that barn roof right there and you can fly away. You can believe that all you want. The truth is when you jump off, you're going to fall and you're going to yeah. hit the ground really hard. And, and the other thing is, and this is why I, I think, I think a lot of times is that we, we, we have become the silent majority, whatever you want to call it, because, and this is something that my mom used to tell me all the times that a man changed against his will is of the same opinion still. So when you force yeah. somebody to think like you, you're not changing their opinion. They're just saying whatever they want that you, that you want them to say. So you'll shut up. And, and I think that's kind of what's happened is we're just like, okay, so these people are not going to change what they think. They're still going to believe whatever they want to believe. And then they're going to just continue to, to squawk and berate and blah, 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 blah. And so we've just finally just gone, eh, it ain't worth my time anymore. And, and that's, and, and because of that, because, because we have stopped, considering it worth our time on the individual level, it became a collective issue. And now it's a collective problem that we're having to now address because we see things like we just saw in Texas where I, man, I don't, if you would have told me when I was a teenager, I'll say teenager because there's, there's a little, some of the naivety of childhood has worn off. And you've seen a little bit of, of more of the real world. I guess when I was 16 years old, if you would have told me at 16, and now you've got to understand, school shootings originated 15 minutes from where I grew up in Pearl, Mississippi. Really? So the, the first, the first big, if, if you, if you go back, there's been people posting it on social media lately, this list of all these school shootings. Yeah. First one on there is Pearl high school in Pearl, Mississippi. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not going to say the guy's name. Most everybody knows it. But the, re- the reason he was stopped is because the principal went out to his vehicle, got a revolver and pointed it in the kid's face. And suddenly he was afraid to die and he stopped <laughs> and he was arrested. Um, he was arrested and, and that was the end of that. But that was the first, the first one that received all the national attention. And then, you know, a couple later was Columbine, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So all of that has gone down. And so that, that, that means a little something to me because it's very close to where I grew up. Um, And so if you would have told me at 16 
that a gunman was going to walk into an elementary school and would be allowed to shoot it up for an hour before police decided to go in there, I'd have called you an idiot. Like, there's yeah. no way that's going to happen. Police would go in there and take care of the problem. They didn't. And, and, and this did not happen. This did not happen in New York City. This did not happen in Los Angeles. This did not happen in Delaware or Rhode Island or wherever you might consider to be a liberal stronghold. Yeah. This happened in Texas where they have the death penalty on a conveyor belt with a fast lane. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I, I, I was dumbfounded because I'm sitting there thinking there, there's no way. Cause I, I know, I know a lot of police officers and I, I know a lot of, of first responders and they are always running toward the fight. They are always running toward the danger. And I'm so appreciative of the people that do that. But you're telling me an entire police department didn't go in there and save the, or at least attempt to save kids for an hour for yeah. a reason. I would have never believed that. I would have never in my life believed that 10 years ago, 15 yeah. No way. No, no, I, I, I agree. And, and I'll tell you, man, it's, there's a couple things that I think about with that. One, Texas is evolving. Um, you know, Texas always has been like the, there's always been that like running joke, like, you know, Texas is like its own country. Yeah. And, you know, Texas, if it ever goes blue, we're in trouble. For starters, Texas will go blue. Um, Texas will go blue. If not this next election, I wouldn't be shocked if it's not the next one. Unless there is some radical shift, Texas is going to go blue. Texas was blue for a while in this last election and suddenly shifted. Like, Texas is going to go blue. And it's mainly because they've had an influx of the immigrants and they've had an influx of people leaving these liberal places and coming there. Like, they're turning it blue. It's not that the like normal Texans are suddenly having this liberal mindset shift. It's that they're being flooded with people coming there. And so, you know, to me, uh, and obviously I'm a proud Tennessee guy, like Tennessee is like one of the states, if I ever see it go uh, blue, then I'm going to be really like, all right, something, some bad juju has happened because Tennessee, we have like two or three red or uh, blue counties, and then the rest of the state is massively, like it's not even close. And um, so anyways, the there is that shift. Now, uh, I have, I've been going through some firearms training. Like I, I'm a, I am a gun guy. I love firearms. Um, I've got guns around me. I've been raised around guns. There is almost always a firearm within my proximity. I've never witnessed a firearm pick itself up and shoot at me um, as much as I've been around them. I was grown up around guns. I've never seen a gun try to physically harm me without somebody being behind the gun pulling the trigger. A firearm is no more dangerous than this ink pen is sitting here on my table. Um, this little button here, recorder, there's some nails right here that I had put stuff on the wall before and I took them down. This nail is no more dangerous than my AR-15 is that's in my safe. This nail is no more dangerous than a freaking 338 Lapua cannon that'll like blow a man's arm off. But 
now suddenly guns are have become this like evil premise. Well, it all goes into this again the mind shift mindset shift we've had in this country. But I guess one thing I was going to say too on the shooting aspect, uh, I've gone through two active shooter training so far, and it's kind of like how to respond. And we've done them from the perspective of protecting a church. Now, our trainer, he has a very, very strong background. I mean, this dude has, he has experienced police shootings. He's been in the heat big time. Um, One second, I'm trying to remember what it is. Her one second can technically be considered one body, meaning if the guy can basically pull the trigger, you almost count that as one death. So that means, you know, if you can pull the one trigger, I mean, in one trigger pull in one second, that's actually, it doesn't take very much time to pull a trigger. So we're saying this dude could be killing somebody every second uh, during the shootout. And that to me is wild when you think about an hour, an hour duration. Like, dude, five minutes from, from the training that I've been through, a lot of these active shooter scenarios we do, one scenario might last 15 to 30 seconds, and it feels like it feels like five to 10 minutes. And so I just cannot imagine the length of time of an hour. And the main thing that they taught us in these shooting training is if you hear gunshots, you are getting to those gunshots. Like, that is our objective. If there's gunshots happening, we are moving as rapidly as possible to get to the gunshots because every shot I hear, that's potentially another person dead. So that's what's wild to me. Like, And we're civilians being trained, so I just can't imagine as a police officer hearing these gunshots and knowing dude, that's there's kids in there. Every gunshot I hear, that's probably a kid just got shot. Like, that's taking it to a whole nother level, man. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like John Rambo, but you get your ass in there and do something. I mean, well, even, even more than that. So let's, let's, okay, cool. Every gunshot you hear, yes, that's potentially a child that got shot that could probably make it, because we're talking about a, this person, that, this, this, this sick person that went in there and did that. I doubt very seriously had a breadth of uh, firearms training and trigger discipline and muzzle discipline and, and, and could, you know, consistently aim and shoot and, and be very accurate. I, I highly doubt that based yeah. on what I've seen uh, in, in, in the, in the media and things like that about this person. So with that assumption safe, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I feel like then with proper medical attention in a quick, in a quick hurry, some of those kids probably get to, they're probably still in the hospital right now, but they get to go home eventually. Yeah. But we left them in there for an hour, for an hour. Like, I mean, I I cannot, I I mean, I I held my, I held my kids a little tighter the last couple of nights than, than, than usual, just simply because of that. And, and, And I am an educator at a school. And so it's, it's always, and it, it's, it's something that's always, in my mind, um, 
But, you know, it, I can't for the life of me figure out how somebody does that, how they allow, how they can sit there in that parking lot and say, all right, we're just going to sit here. We're just going to sit yeah. here. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I can't, I can't get there. I can't figure it out. And then, okay, that's all fine and good. We, we're all the same with that. But then you have these other people with the unmitigated nerve, gall, and complete audacity to say, well, the solution to this is to take away the guns. Yeah. Are you kidding me? What? No, absolutely not. And I know you posted a reel about this, I think, yesterday. And I thought it was one of the most intelligent things I've heard anybody say about it is all these elitists, especially in Hollywood, who are speaking out and are anti-gun. We need to get rid of the guns. And I thought you made a great point, man. You were like, if that's how you feel about it, fire all of your armed guards or don't let them carry a, a weapon anymore. Uh, no more firearms for them. And you're not going to take a movie or a role that has a, a firearm used in it whatsoever. Um, and, and we're going to let's put our money where our mouth is because it's real easy for you to sit there on social media and, and from your, your throne that you've established for yourself as this elitist in Hollywood to say, we shouldn't have these things or you or not. That's not we, excuse me. You shouldn't have these things. Y'all shouldn't have these things. You yeah. people down there should not have this stuff, but it's cool for me. It's cool for me to have it. I'm going to, I need the security yeah. and I'm going to, I want to make some money. So I'm going to go and like, and it, and it kills me. Like Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson is an advocate for gun control. Like he is one of the most yeah. badass dudes with a gun in the, in movie history. Like, are you kidding me? Have you seen Taken? You know what I mean? Like, why why are you portraying that role? I quit watching him. Because, uh, yeah, he was awesome in Taken. Badass with a gun in Taken. And then he comes out with, uh, I think it was called Walk Amongst the Graveyard or Walk Amongst the Tombstones or something. I never saw it. But he, I know in the movie he uses a firearm. And the company, when he did that movie... He was in an interview shortly thereafter, and he was blasting guns. And I don't remember who the gun provider was, but they said that any film he worked on, they would never supply firearms to anymore. And that's what I want to see more of. And, and so, like, just this weekend or just this past week or whatever, since this occurred, um, Jason Momoa, Kevin Bacon, and Matthew McConaughey, all three advocated for gun control in one way or another. McConaughey tried to do it in a very sneaky way because he's running for politics in Texas. So he's I saw trying, that. Yeah, like he, if you can read between the lines, then you can quickly say, pick out what he's referring to, and it's gun control. McConaughey is a liberal. Like he's, he's trying to play. I mean, I've read Green Lights. It's a great book. I enjoyed it a lot. But the guy, he's, he's got that liberal Hollywood mentality. And Momoa killed me because the guy loves blades and knives and things like that. But then he's going to put up a thing for gun control. Kevin Bacon, he's played a part in movies before where he's like a detective or something and he uses a firearm. And I'm like, man, damn it. If you're going to, if you're going to be this way, you better never use another firearm in a movie. Like, if you really believe this, and, and that's what I would like to see. I'd like to see them honestly have to put their money where their mouth is. If they're going to jeopardize 
okay, I can never play this action part anymore. Like, I'm going to eliminate myself from playing these action roles. Like, Jason Momoa is a prime example. And I'm, I was so bombed because Jason was one of my, like, big goals to eventually try to pull on Living Fully Loaded. I was like, man, he'd be cool to get on. And I'm not saying, like, the guys have to completely agree with me uh, to come on the show. But it was such a bummer because I'm like, man, how do you... A, a gun is no different than a knife. I mean, I've got I've got knives on me right now. They're they're tools. They're they're a tool for the job. And like, how is it that this guy can be such an advocate for knives, such a fan of these? They are a weapon. Like they are a weapon. A knife can be an assault weapon if you use it to assault. And same with an AR. AR-15 uh, can be. It can be an assault weapon if you use it to assault. And uh, so I, I see those and I'm just like, dude, come on, man. Like you you love one form of weapons and then hate another. Like what is the difference? You see it in these places like I think it was England or somewhere where a dude kills people with a machete. He goes on like a rampage with a machete and is like hacking people up and stuff. I mean – Evil will do what evil will do. Gun control is only going to affect those of us that obey the law. A guy yes. that's going to murder a bunch of people, they're not going to follow the laws. And I'll go a step further. Me and I was actually, I messaged Trevor Thompson. We were talking about this with the whole situation. And I told him, I said, and it was kind of funny because Tony Blower or whatever put up a post shortly thereafter, very similar statement but i told trevor i said you would have to have a time machine if you wanted to truly stop gun violence you'd need a time machine and i may have even put it in our group you, you did have, yeah that's what i was thinking and you'd have to travel back in time and stop the first guy from ever designing a firearm and you could put an end to gun violence then but somebody would have just violence will be there and you can't honestly have freedom without danger like this thing you know what i do i want to see less mass shootings obviously obviously i wish they never happened but there is an inherent danger that comes with freedom and i mean i i'm a guy that believes that if i want a freaking machine gun i should be able to just legally buy a machine gun i'm very 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 second amendment pro like i i am staunch on the i mean i got a magpul shirt on right now <laughs> like i'm i am a gun guy to the core and it you know it was funny my wife and i did a day date um the next day after that shooting happened and we went to barnes and noble because we were we actually went out to memphis we ate lunch and we went ran over to barnes and noble i was wanting to look at some books and i was looking at the magazine aisle and there was a bunch of firearms magazines and um, I'm standing over there and I'm looking kind of by them. I was actually, there was like a deer hunting magazine right beside him and I was looking at it. And this couple comes up and the guy, he looks like, he looks like what I would have imagined a guy would be that say this. He goes, well, I can tell we're in the South. And uh, the woman goes, why? And he goes, look at this. And he points to the gun magazines. And he goes, look at all these magazines, these firearm magazines. And the woman goes, well, yeah, it says men's interest. Like, why would those not be here? And he goes, 
well, it's kind of inappropriate. And she's like, I'm not following. And he goes, the shooting that just happened, it's kind of inappropriate that they would have these firearm magazines out. And I'm just like, that that's the mentality that we deal with. <laughs> I mean, it's ignorant. And, and, you know, we, you know, there was a comedian um, back in the earlier part of the 2000s. Um, his name was Brad Stein. He was a, he was a Christian comedian. He was, dude, hilarious hilarious and he did a bit um and, and this was this was back in like 2003 2004 and he did a bit about you know guns not being the problem and the thing that he said was since we want i have an idea instead of banning guns why don't we just ban crime yeah it, just in general just just yeah. you can't do crime can't yeah. do crime that'll stop everybody and his whole thing was like and and where where in the history of the world did banning anything ever work? We tried to ban alcohol in this country one time, but you couldn't find a drink in the twenties, could you? Yeah. You know, and I was like, man, this that is a that's a perfect example. Just because we ban something, if people want it, they're gonna find it. I mean, and it it is, dude. It's a it's a great example about where we are in this country and the fact that. You know, and, and that seems to be the answer. Like when there's something wrong, let's just ban it. Let's just remove it. Let's it, instead of identifying the problem, it, it's not a gun issue. It's not an alcohol issue. And and I, I would think, you know, and, and there's been a lot about this, too, about big pharma with with all of the drugs that we are pumping into our society. And I say that with a wife who is a pharmacist. So, you know, we, we bring in a significant portion of our income through the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. But even, even she will tell you that like, as a society, we are insanely over-medicated and, you know, we don't want to talk about that problem. You know, I thought, I think I saw something that somebody posted recently that said in the first quarter, in the first quarter of the year 2021, Big Pharma lobbied something to the effect of $90 million in the first quarter. And the entirety of 2020, the gun industry lobbied like $2.5 million, like something that. like yeah. that. Yeah. And, and I was like, dude, that why, why, why is that not a bigger deal? Why are we not paying more attention to this? You know, we, we have kids nowadays, and, and I think Scott said this in our group chat, like, as soon as they start acting out a little bit, we medicate them and we just, you know, we have a prescription for everything instead of teaching kids how to handle stuff and how to how to process and, and deal with their emotions and deal with their anxiety. We just, oh, you have anxiety. Let's get you some medicine for it. Yeah. Like, no, man, let them learn. Let them learn yeah. how to deal with things. It's one of my favorite things that our... Um, that our, our head football coach does here is if like if if you're if you're a player on our football team here and and you're going to miss a workout, be late for something, miss a practice, um or if you want to quit the team, whatever it may be. If your mom and dad calls, then you are not excused from that absence. You he said, "I don't want to hear from mom and dad. They are in high school now. I want to hear from them." And if they if they can't call me and tell me, then it ain't that big a deal. And I expect them to be at practice. Yeah. And, and I, I love that. I love that. It's teaching personal responsibility, teaching communication. And it's such a small thing that some people are probably like, well, that's stupid. No, it really ain't. Because the only time, the only time I see kids of, of 
of this generation that I see on a daily basis. I see them every single day, kids from fifth grade through senior in high school. The only time they have hard conversations is when they're doing it with their thumbs through a screen. Yeah. They don't know how to do it anymore face to face and and talk to people about things. They don't know. Yeah. Well, we live in, I mean, it it all goes to the disconnect. I mean, you know, we recently saw it uh, on display with Mike Tyson. I mean, you know, it's the age where, you know, you can say anything and, uh, you know, that guy, um, the dude that Mike beat the hell out of him on the airplane, like the guy was acting like a moron and Mike just waylays him on this plane and it's like dude it's a prime example i mean the the keyboard and the screens it adds a layer of protection like another one that i think about a lot is joe rogan joe is uh from everybody that i know that has known him and has interacted with him they talk about what a nice guy joe is but Joe is like a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and he has probably the nastiest spinning back kick that like I've ever seen. Like Joe could wreck a man if he wanted to, and yet he never fails. You can get on his Instagram and read some comments, and there will be somebody talking shit about Joe in his comments. And I'm always like, man, I would just this this just shows like kind of the problem. You know, I mean, I, I experienced it with, with uh, my podcast early on. I had a, a moron running his mouth about me, and uh, oh, I struggled with it a lot because I was like, you know, I mean, I'm no, I don't pretend to be a Billy Badass, but I'm a 6'1", 210, 215-pound guy. Like, I chunk hay bales. I've messed with cattle. I've, I'm a, I consider myself a pretty tough guy. And this dude, I was like, you know what, I mean, Maybe he needs to eat his teeth. Like, I, I thought about that a lot <laughs> and told my wife that a lot. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm going to have to go and, you know, this dude needs a, he needs to finally get his because he was notorious for going and running his mouth about people online. Like, that's what he does. And, uh, but my wife was like, if you did that, because I told her one day, I said, I feel like less of a man by not going and beating the shit out of this guy. And she told me, she said, if you, if you pretty much lower yourself to his level to go and do that, she said, I would think of you as less of a man, which was like, I mean, a major reality check for me. Um, because it is, man. I mean, Joe, Joe could beat the hell out of like basically anybody that runs their mouth about him online, but he doesn't even give them the time of day. And that was one of the things for me. And I'll tell you, that was actually, Bert was one of the guys I called. Like I, I was having an issue with this guy running his mouth and I texted Bert one day and I was like, dude, uh, let me, can I pick your brain for a second? I need some advice. And he was like, yeah, man, give me a call. And so I called him. This was really early on in the podcast. Like I had had Bert on, uh, it was back in 2020. And, uh, I don't think I had changed it to living fully loaded yet. I was still doing kind of the hunting style. And I asked Bert, I was like, man, which I did not know about the idiot that they have to deal with. I won't mention his name, but I didn't know the idiot we were dealing with at the time. And I asked him, I said, man, have you ever had to deal with like haters? And I mean, their hater is far worse than mine. Because that dude still (laughs) lives in that man. I mean, Sornex lives in that man's head rent-free for all eternity. But um, so... 
uh, Bert was like, oh, yeah, we definitely have had to deal with haters. And he was like, I said, what do you do? And he said, do you see them in person? And I said, well, very rarely, if ever. Uh, I said, we might see each other at the grocery store. And I said, but they never say shit in person. And he said, just block them. He was like, why haven't you just blocked him? Why do you keep seeing the guy's stuff? Because all it's doing is bringing you down. And um, I was like, yeah, that's true. And he said, Bert said, you're the, the mayor of your town on social media. He said, that's the way I look at it. You're the mayor. And if somebody's being stupid and you don't like them or whatever, they're running their mouth. He was like, you can kick them out of your town. He was like, you don't have to see that every day. And so that has been some of the best advice for me because we live in a digital age where we're surrounded by it. Block them, man. Like, and it ain't going to stop them. I mean, that guy ran his mouth for several more weeks online and eventually he got no response from me. And I guess it lost the fun because I was just never responding to him. And I'll tell you too, one of the best things for dealing with people like that. And I see it now it's been, I'm on into my third year now. So that's been, that was back, like I said, early 2020. Um, dude, the best thing to do, let's say I had gone and fought this guy, and let's say I even kicked his ass. It ain't going to make a bit of a difference. One, it's going to just further his hatred for me. And then, two, he's probably going to have even more of a chip on his shoulder. So it's not going to be like, it's not going to be this magical process where you beat the shit out of this guy, and all of a sudden he's like, Oh, he sees the light and has this awakening. No, no it, you know it's going to be worse. Um, <laughs> no, Lo Logan just literally beat my teeth into my face, and I now see that he's such a great guy. Yes, yes, like <laughs> that. And so that's just not that's not the way it works. But I tell you what, the best weapon is is to just keep on keeping on, and the success of the show or the success of whatever you're doing, I guess this has kind of turned into like talking about how to, because, you know, if you put yourself out there, there's going to be people that are going to say crap. I mean, it's just, it's oh, yeah. inevitable. It's inevitable. And uh, so you just got to know, one, just don't throw a bone. Don't even throw them a bone, man. Ignore them. And two, just keep on pushing because your success is the worst punch you could ever deliver to them. Like, like, I thought about that before. I, I, I do my best to never think about that guy anymore, but I like to reference the story because there is a part of me that's like, I bet it kind of has to kill that guy a little bit when he sees me have, like, Jack Carr back on the show or he saw me go to Las Vegas and do an episode with John Bartolo at his studio. Like, getting to see the continued success Dude, that's, that's killer to people like that because at the end of the day, they're miserable in their own life. Oh, and they absolutely. just don't want anybody else do anything any good. Absolutely. And, and that's at the, you know, when, when you can't be, I, you know what, you don't have to be happy for other people. I, I, I will never be someone that says, no, you need to be happy for them. You don't have to be happy for them. But if, if you can't just be like, hey, yeah, that's cool. Good for you. And, and and move on with your life, then there is something overwhelmingly negative somewhere in your life that you need to address. Because, yeah. you know, at the at the end of the day, what what other people do. As long as it's not negatively affecting others, let them be. Who yeah. cares? You yeah. know, who cares? It doesn't negatively affect 
anyone else. It's their thing. Who cares? And if they're successful and they love it, great. Good for them. And move on. You don't have to celebrate with them, but you surely don't need to be a detractor just for the sake of, of being a jackass. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of people... You know, a lot of people will go is they're like, man, no, somebody needs to put them in their place. He's too big for his britches or, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, nah, is he though? Yeah, <laughs> is yeah. he though? Yeah. And so, no, man, I, I, uh, I, I don't look forward to that. I hope, I hope I don't ever have to deal with that. Probably, uh, probably won't because this is probably about you know my audience is relatively small uh comparatively i don't see myself having to deal with that anytime soon but wouldn't no, hey man never say never <laughs> never say never indeed um but you know i i i'm glad that i i that is it i'm 33 years old when i started yeah. this because at 23 i would not have had that perspective to be able to just go oh block button and just move on with yeah. my life it would have been a I would have had to figure out why they're mad about it. I'd have had to figure out why they're doing this and, and, and put them straight. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that maturity uh, is, is something that I think we all need and we all need to incorporate it at various different instances in our life. Um, you know, whether it be something stupid about arguing over semantics in a conversation with friends or, you know, just for, for whatever reason, feeling the need to point out, well, your verbiage wasn't, what it should have been here. That's not, you know, and I mean, that, that's yeah. just dumb stuff. Some things you just, you just got to let go. You just be like, okay, cool. Yeah. So. No, it, it's uh, it's refreshing to block people. Uh, really, <laughs> like, uh, you know, even that, that reel I put up yesterday, um, I put in there, I'm pretty sure stupid comments will be deleted. And I kind of slacked a little bit because I did have one guy comment pretty stupid on there. And I told him he sounded like an idiot. And then I told him I saw he was a Biden fan. So I was not shocked. He was delusional. So like I did throw him two little bones and he just didn't really have much to say after that. But like there's been some of my farming stuff I've put up. Somebody would write something about, well, you farmers are doing this and this and this. And I would like start typing a response and I'd be like, I got a better idea. Delete block. <laughs> like It's like, just don't have time for it anymore. I mean, life is, Life is short, uh, and it's way too short to deal with idiots. You know, my question for people like that is really simple. And if, if you really feel that way, why are they following you and watching your stuff? Yeah. Like, if, if you really have this negative association with farmers, why, why, why would you waste your time curating? Because that's what we do. We curate a social media you know, environment. We, it, we follow who we follow. Okay, yeah. so we curate that environment. So if 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 you really have that big of an issue with farmers, why on God's green earth would you follow a farmer on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. Some people are just man; they just have a very, they just have a boring, boring, miserable life. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. Like I, I am a happy guy by nature. Uh, I, I'm busy. Like when I'm not busy in the field, I try to stay busy podcasting or doing other things. Like. I fill my time well, so like I don't have time to go be a, an asshole to people. Nor do I want to be. Like I, I enjoy seeing people succeed. Like that's, I tell you, the guy that was being a jackass to me. Like I told my wife, I'm like, I wish he could find out what it is he really wants to do, and go do that thing, so that he would quit being so damn negative. Like that's what it comes down to. Like I'd rather them pursue what they want to pursue and. 
you know, like I've said it kind of jokingly, but I'm actually serious. If I go, I don't care what somebody tells me. If I walk into the gas station later and I'm talking to the cashier up there and they tell me, man, I really want to work for NASA. I want to work for NASA and I would love to fly to Mars. I'd love to be like the first guy to step foot on Mars or whatever. I don't think anybody's, I don't know. Somebody might've been there already, but I, um, you know, if they were like, I want to be the first guy to step foot on Mars, then I'd be like, well, hell yeah, man. You know, try to make it happen. Like give it your all to make it happen. Like I, I am an encourager by nature. Like that's what I want, but it's because I, one, I do think people are far more capable of things than they think. And I think that things are, are closer at hand than they think. Like, you know, I've seen it for myself and some of the guests that I've gotten on the show. I've had some guests on that I'm like, I don't know why in the world I was able to get this guy on the show. Like, by all standards, I should not have been able to. But I've had people like, I've gotten them on the show. I've had contact with people. Like, there's people, even if it's still surreal to me, like the show is still, in my mind, it's still small, but it is growing. But like, you know, I've had contact with Ted Nugent. I've had contact with Russell Brand and his team. Like, neither of them have been on my show. And I hope to get them on there at some point. But just the fact that I have, like, made contact with them has really been, like, it blows my mind. Because I'm like, dude, I'm just a farmer here in West Tennessee. Like, a small farmer at that. So, that shows to me, man, it things are possible. And I do believe, you know, I've read, I don't know if you've ever read The Alchemist. Have you read it? Uh, who wrote that one? Paulo Coelho. No, I don't think, I don't think so. Logan. Oh, man, dude. That one... You need to download the book or get it today. It's a very short book. Like I've read it, I've read it three times. Um, I read it the first time in like a day and a half. Oh wow! But, yeah, it's it's a short read. It's about uh, this this shepherd, and it's based in like I don't know. It'd be like based in like Egypt or Middle Eastern kind of area or something. But it's this shepherd. And by all standards, at first I was like, this book just doesn't sound appealing to me at all. Like, I like, I mean, I got In the Blood on the Table over there by Jack Carr. and Like, I love that kind of stuff. But The Alchemist is about this dude, and he's going to go, he's going on this journey to find some treasure. And along the journey, he uh, he kind of, he has several things happen. Well, it, there's this alchemist that he's searching for that they say can turn like a regular stone <laughs> into gold. So he's seeking this guy out. Well, he gets to this point in his life where he basically, he's happy. He's complacent in where he is. And he kind of asks the guy, the alchemist, what if I stay? Like, I'm happy here, got a pretty good life. But he has this ability to find this treasure. And the alchemist tells him over a several years span what will happen. Like the first couple of years, his life will be pretty happy, pretty pleasant. And then he'll still have that ability to seek the treasure or the desire. The next couple of years, his abilities will start to wane, and that flame will die down. And then his unhappiness is going to start to come out because he never reached his his full like potential and fulfillment. And it's a really, dude. It is a. I might actually listen to it, put it on, and listen to it today when I go out and work on the planner because like that book 
if that book doesn't light a fire in you, and it's such a bizarre book because of the the basis of it, meaning like based in Middle Eastern shepherd kind of thing, like it's not by all standards, it seems unrelatable, but then when you read it, it's insanely relatable. But it's all about seeking that. I mean, I think everybody has a burning desire where they know what they want to do if they really soul search. I think it, a lot of times people people mature and they think that those things are gone. And so they're childish maybe. So they really just, they bury them so much that it's like the flame just basically dwindles away. But I honestly do think at the end of the day, you can peel back the layers and really soul search and find it out, find out what it actually is you want to be doing. And that's just, that's what I want people to do. I just want them to find what it is that you want to do. And I'm not telling people like, you know, if you told me, man, you know, I want to be an author, like I would not say, all right, Taylor, uh, quit your job today and go buy, <laughs> take all the money you have left, buy you a nice laptop, get you a good printer and get final draft pro and start writing a book. And you do that. You have to go all in or it's all or nothing. Then no, man, I, I am a big believer in moonlighting. Like I think, Everybody talks about not having enough time to do this and not enough time to do that. Dude, when I was a machinist, I was a newlywed. I was a machinist. I worked uh, five days a week. I worked Monday or no, it'd be five and a half because we worked half days on Saturdays. Monday through Saturday, I had to be at work at like six, got off in the afternoon, spend time with my, my wife, uh, my family, and then I would even help some on the farm and I was still working out and I was still, I started writing. I was writing screenplays. I wrote like three feature length screenplays while I was a machinist. So like the time excuse is a bunch of baloney, man. Like if you, if there's something you really desire to do, dude, it's what is it to carve an hour or two hours out of your day uh, to pursue them? And I'll tell you, it's really, really rewarding even if you're working, you can be working a job you hate, but if you're dedicating an hour or two a day towards a goal that you have, you will feel like this insanely rejuvenated sense of energy because you'll just feel like you're, you're moving the needle in the right direction. And, and that's, that's what it's all about is continually moving the needle. And, and people, I, I've had people, I've had that same conversation and I, I've had to be told that. Uh, I mean, I just don't have time. I mean, I, I remember when, you know, when I left the, the high school coaching world to go and do the college side of things, I was, I was, a, a, I was on paper, I was a grad assistant. Um, but at, in the situation we were in, it was the director of strength and conditioning. And then it was me and one other GA. So we were, we were paid like grad assistants in the fact that we got a tuition waiver and all that. Yeah. But I mean, in practicality, we were full-time assistants. I mean, I started that job June 1st of 2016. Trip was born August 3rd. And so, you know, that was, Casey and I had been married for a couple of two or three years at that point, but had a brand new baby at home. And I was leaving every morning at 4.30 because our first group started at 5.30. So I'd be there at five. I was leaving every morning at 4.30, getting home at, at uh you know, 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night, the time everything was over. And people would ask me like, well, dude, how did, what did you do? It's like, so when I came in, we'd spend time with Casey 
and she slept at night as much yeah. as I let, as much as I could figure out a way to, because that was the only time I had to spend with Trip was if he got up in the night and God blessed me with a child that slept through the night. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are probably cussing me when they hear that, but like from 10 days old, Trip slept pretty much all night long. Um, yeah. and when he was, he was getting enough to eat. So he was, he was good to go. Um, and, and that was, that was such a good thing. But I would, any, any time there was nighttime stuff, I tried my best to get up and get it because that was the time I had to spend with them. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, that same mindset had to kind of carry over. So I started looking at, at starting this podcast over a year ago, really almost two. Uh, I didn't know what it would turn into. And then uh, Ross Hilliard said, dude, you just got to start. You yeah. said the same thing. You were like, you and Ross both said the same thing. But man, look, you just got to start. Like quit trying to get everything lined up and in place and just go and figure it out while you go. And Ross is, you know, he, he would say, uh, ready, fire, aim. Like, yeah. You're ready. Shoot the gun, and then let's 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 dial it back in and kind of figure out where we're going from there. And you know, I think it, it, to your point, if people people that say they don't have time, I would challenge them to turn screen time on on their phone, and then a week later, look at how much time they spend on their phone on their apps, and be like, okay, this is how much time this week I spent doing all of this. I could have devoted half that time to whatever else. I'm not telling you take. I'm not telling you go get a flip phone and get rid of smartphones and everything like that. But like understand that there is a limited amount of time in the day and we there are certain things that that are requirements that we have to meet and we have to fulfill but there are also optional things and sometimes sacrifice is not fun i don't know if, i mean sacrifice in, in and of itself is never a fun thing yeah right i mean it hurts you're giving you're literally giving something up but Every time that you think about sacrifice, there's a reward, there's a goal, there's something on the other side of that that you're working towards, and that's what you that's what you just have to keep in mind. That's yeah. what you you have to do, and and sometimes it ain't fun. But trimming the fat's never a fun thing. Yeah, yeah, no, and you know, man, it's. I would actually even say too, if uh, let's say somebody, because I mean, there was some machinist positions. I remember. Uh, I got offered some jobs that when I was machining, I worked at what they called a job shop where it was like we set up all kinds of different parts and I had to set up a machine. I had to program the machine, run the parts myself. Like it was a full job machinist. Like there's various types of machinists. I was having to do it all. Well, there's OEM style machining. That'd be like your Smith and Nephews, Medtronics and those. And and like you're more or less, they have guys that their only job is to program. They do the programs and they have guys that their job is to set up the machines. And then they had guys that their job was to run the parts. And so what I was doing all in one, they had three different positions at like these OEMs. And it does make it easier probably for them to hire them because it's hard to find a machinist that could set up and program and do all of it because that's everything. But and I would get offered jobs from Smith and Nephew and it would be, you know, big money. Like for me going from making pretty normal pay to making, you know, you'd be bringing in a hundred grand a year, but you were working seven days a week. A lot of times they would work 13. I think they would work either 12 or 13 days in a row and they'd get a day off and then start back. Mm -hmm. And some of the times it was, some of them guys were working 12 hour shifts. Like, I mean, 
every day. And, and that's, that's awful. I mean, it's brutal. Like that you try to think then like, all right, how can I make family time and goals work? I mean, there's guys doing it. There's dudes that do it. But like what I would say, if you find yourself in that position and you know, there's something you really want to be doing and it ain't what you're doing, then in that situation, I would say you need to sit down, uh, sit down with your spouse. If, if you're married and y'all, y'all kind of look at your budget, look at your bills. If you're not married, sit down by yourself, look at your budget, look at your bills. What kind of changes can you make? And dude, I would get a different job. I mean, just plain and simple. Like today, there is a one good thing with the COVID crap where we're at. There are jobs in just pretty much every single field. And so, you know, you may not even go into a field that necessarily you like, but you would be, you would gain that time. And there's also a perk to working a job you don't like. And that is that it pushes you to go towards your goals. Because when I was machining, I was very driven towards my goals because I wanted to get my ass out of the machine shop. So that's one good side. If you find yourself in a miserable job, uh, but you've got time to pursue your other ventures, then use the use the miserableness that you feel to 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 go towards um, your goals. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's kind of the thing, man. And that's that that kind of brings it full circle back to the whole point and purpose of this podcast is that this this discomfort by design and the fact that when I every person that I've had on this show, every person that I want on this show, and I, I have a, a list that's pages long of people that when I was when I was planning this out, like these are the people I want to talk to. And the reason why is because they have woven discomfort into the fabric of their lives intentionally to serve a purpose and to take them to the next thing because we don't grow in a comfortable setting. A comfortable yeah. setting creates laziness. It creates contentment and just we're good to be here. We're good. We're good right here. But when you when discomfort comes into play, we have to we have to move. We got to find the next thing. We got to continue to grow. And so, you know, I look at someone like you who's like you know, you hated the, the nine to five or whatever it was drag of being a machinist. Not that you hated the job itself, but that it wasn't the lifestyle that you wanted. It wasn't, it was this discomfort. And so you, and, and instead of you, you had two choices, you could either embrace the, all right, so I'm going to stay here in this part. This is, this is a comfortable job. It makes a decent living. I had set hours and I'm going to stay here and there's, there's room for advancement. I can make more money. And that comfort, but the discomfort you're going to have is the the mental side of, you know, I, I'm miserable. I'm miserable yeah. doing this, but now I have to because I've been here so long, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You know, you choose your hard, you choose your discomfort. So you walk away from that and and, and now, you, you know, you've said it, man, you, you lay awake at night and stress over the fact that you got all that debt hanging over your head and hoping to God that come October, November, when harvest hits, that it all works out and there's still enough left over after you've paid your debt to keep your lights on until the entire next, you know, October. And yeah. that you choose your discomfort. But on the flip side of that, you have the ability to be your own boss. You, you're now able to start a podcast that's very successful. You've met a lot of really cool people. You've created an awesome network. You know, I would I would probably say your family is closer together because of, of, of what you do and how you do it. You're raising your kids in an environment that, that 
you want to raise them in. You're getting to be there and teach them and show them. And, and man, that stuff is, that's important. And so none of that's comfortable either. But now the discomfort that you've chosen is of your own design. It's of yeah. your own making and you're using that to propel yourself forward. And, and that's what this is all about. Everybody that I want to talk to is someone I consider to be a high achiever, someone who's doing things exceptionally well. Um, and, and sometimes it's ordinary things. They may be doing ordinary things, but they're doing them in an exceptional way. And the, the key thing that I've seen with everybody was there's an element of discomfort that's intentional. And uh, man, I, I think uh, I think you've been a, a great example of I want to. I don't want to say an everyman because, to me, you're 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 one of those high achievers. You're more than that. But, you know, you said it earlier, man. I'm just a farmer. You're yeah. just a farmer. You know, you're you're not a professional athlete. You weren't a special operator in the military. You know, all of these these things. You're you're a guy from West Tennessee who working a family farm and has turned it into something, and and it, and then started a podcast that's freaking awesome. So. Man, props to you, kudos, and and I think you've been a great example of of exactly the type of person I want on here. So I appreciate you being on today, man. Man, Taylor, it's been awesome, dude. And again, I appreciate all your words. And uh, like I said, you the encouragement that you give and stuff. I mean, it, it spurs me on. Um, anytime I hit a lag, it, they always it means a lot. And uh, I just I appreciate the support. And uh, Man, I'm I'm honored to be on the show and uh, be among the lineup. I, a lot of times, I definitely do not feel worthy of being considered in the lineup, but I'm, I appreciate it a ton. Well, you are you are absolutely worthy of the lineup. So, uh, real quick, man, before we jump off, where can people find you, follow you, and keep up with what's going on? Yeah, man. Uh, so my Instagram is is where I'm most active. That's uh, at l o dot hanks, like just low dot hanks. And um, my website is livingfullyloaded.com. Obviously, you got the uh, Living Fully Loaded podcast. It's I'm on YouTube with it and LH Farms. Uh, I've got two channels. Well, actually, I guess we got three. I got Talk Dirt to Me podcast, which is just all ag centered. Um, but uh, I'm not as great on the YouTube side because, as Taylor knows too, the editing aspect is garbage. We hate editing. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm usually not that great. I try to be do a little better, but you can find me on YouTube. Um, but livingfullyloaded.com is my website. There's a contact page on there. You can reach me or you can shoot me an, a message on Instagram at low Hanks. And I mean, I, I try to respond to everybody and uh, I love to hear from people. You know, if, if I have said something in here that you thought was great or you thought was dumb, Shoot me a message and uh, let me know. I'd love to love to hear it. Yeah, so uh, man, I, I appreciate you being on. If you uh, if you enjoyed the ag part of what we've been talking about, then then definitely go check out the Talk Dirt to Me podcast. That is a a really intriguing podcast that uh, Logan and his cousin is it Bobby that's that's doing that. Bobby, yep. Yeah, so Logan and Bobby, and I think Bobby's on the livestock side of the ag ag stuff so you get two really cool perspectives on a lot of what's happening in the ag world uh so if that intrigues you definitely go check that out and please check out logan's uh other podcast which is i would consider his main podcast is living fully loaded um it's a great lineup of people 
that span a huge range of of awesome individuals uh that he just gets to talk to and, and hang out with so check those out follow him on instagram um and logan brother i appreciate it and i'll see you in the group chat my man awesome man thank you taylor i appreciate it yeah buddy you've been listening to the discomfort by design podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the show and leave a review and we'll see you next time